0: Hi, welcome to the Biffa Podcast, the show from the British Independent Film Awards that brings together two artists from the filmmaking community for a conversation about how film has shaped their lives. In this episode, actors Ray Panthaki and Vinette Robinson, who could be seen on screen together in the high-intensity One Take Wonder Boiling Point from director Philip Barantini, spoke to each other about their cinematic upbringings. At the Biffa Awards, Vanette won the prize for Best Supporting Actress for her work in Boiling Point. The film follows a chef, played by Stephen Graham, working in the heated environment of a frantic restaurant alongside his colleagues, including Ray and Vanette during one of the busiest and most stressful shifts of his career. After intense planning and rehearsals, the film was shot in one single take and, unsurprisingly, went home with the Best Cinematography Award at the Biffers, as well as prizes for Best Sound and Best Casting. Audiences might recognise Ray from Netflix' Astronaut series Away, as well as gritty crime drama Gangs of London. And if he wasn't busy enough, as well as being an actor, he's also a writer, director and producer too co-star Vanette will be familiar to any Sherlock fans out there, with her turn as Sergeant Donovan offering a standout amongst the supporting cast, and when she's not circling Baker Street, she's been seen in far-flung sci-fi adventures having appeared in both the Star Wars and Doctor Who universes. For this podcast, they spoke about loads of things including jumping into your fear and the intensity of doing a wholly improvised film with Stephen Graham. They also got into their shared love of the works of Shane Meadows and how Ray managed to convince the cinema Photographer from his favourite film of all time to work on his very first short.
1: Hi Ray.
2: Hey Vanette, how are you doing?
1: <laughs> I'm good, how are you?
2: Good, good, good. And we clearly are both technically inept, as yes. we've just proven. But we're here, we're here now, we're doing this.
1: <laughs> so I'm interested to know what your first experiences of film and cinema were growing up.
2: So this is a really interesting question because I was thinking about it last night and I was trying to think back to my first cinema experience and I actually can't remember it. I do not know the first time I went to the cinema. I don't think it's something we necessarily did as a family. I don't think my parents are particularly into movies and things like that. So I can't actually remember what those first experiences are. However... I do have a really clear experience of of movies as I got older, and I got into my teens and I started well acting was becoming a passion of mine, I was really into the craft and as I got into my teens, I discovered foreign movies and world cinema, and that became an incredible passion of mine, and it is really sort of the thing that led me into wanting to make films as well because they were sort of films that spoke to me and, and touched me in a way so I was really trying to rack my brains. What did I go and see at the cinema when I was younger? And I I really can't remember.
1: I'm the same, though. I didn't grow up in a house where uh, lots of culture was consumed, I guess. Mm. It wasn't a particularly artistic household. There was lots of, you know, like the films of my childhood, I remember. But like you, I don't think I really got into film until I sort of started a performing arts course when I was 16. And then I discovered people like Mike Lee and... Last one, Trier. And so I also got into it a bit older. And uh, yeah, going to the cinema wasn't a massive part of my childhood. We didn't get to go to the cinema much really when I was young, just because it was a very expensive thing to do. And so the kind of films that I remember going to see were like Back to the Future, those sort of classic teenage films. You know, it was really exciting to get dropped off by your mum, go into the cinema on your own. It always felt like a quite a cool experience because it wasn't something that we did very much. It's same here. Like we just
2: didn't. But I just hearing you talk there and that image of Michael J. Fox, it reminded me that we did have a video shop at the top of the road where I grew up. I do remember one night we just kept going back in there. We just did a movie night, and it was like we went and gone got five different movies, we went back, exchanged it, got another video, came up, we did it like five times, and I think we were watching films like Teen Wolf and stuff like that, so that's <laughs> yeah. why it made me remember Michael J. Foxy.
1: We watch videos and stuff more than go to cinema, but I guess my early childhood, were all those classic sort of 80s things, Light of the Navigator, or Never Ending Story, or yeah. Goonies, or... Goonies,
2: um, what a classic. Goonies
1: is brilliant, that still stands up. That it still, still stands.
2: Writing. It absolutely did. I tried to make my nieces watch it the other day. I think they're just a little bit too young, but I will go back to that. They kind of switched off, but they, I will go back to that.
1: Well, I would say my founding experiences are, are when I started to discover things in terms of wanting to act like you. It's interesting. Yeah. So when you say foreign film, from any particular place...
2: Someone had given me the DVD to the French movie La N. Uh, And that film changed my life. It changed my life in that it spoke to me. I understood the characters and who they were and the world that they were living in. And I was just blown away. It was a film shot in black and white. And it just inspired me. And it was And I just remember switching that movie off and just going, I've never seen anything like this. And I want to go and make films. It's a beautiful film. Yeah, and it really is. And and it's still the only movie that I can keep watching today and just get more and more from. And then, interestingly enough, years later, when I was directing my first short, I had all these very ambitious ideas of how to do it with not a lot of money and not a lot of time. And I was meeting with cinematographers and asking them, you know, I've got (laughs) really passionately. I've got all these ideas and I want to do this. I want to do this. And all of them sort of said to me, like, Ray, it's really ambitious and we love your vision, but... You don't have enough time and money to execute it it's impossible but I just there was something in my heart that was like I know I can I know I can do this and it was a story that I was really passionate about it was from a personal experience so I wanted to direct it and in the end my one of my co-producers came up to me and said look if you could have any cinematographer in the world who would it be and I said it would be Pierre Aim who shot Let and he said leave it with me And, I mean, he has just got a wonderful way of managing to track people down. And this guy is like, you can't track him down. Like, he doesn't have details anywhere. And before I knew it, I was on a phone call with Pierre Aim. Like, this is the guy that just, like, yeah, absolutely. I was on the phone with him, and I said, you know, I was trying to sort of convey my ideas of this short and how personal it was to me. And in the end, I was like, I need to meet you face-to-face. Can I get you to London? So he was like, sure. So I got him from a train from Paris to London, and I'll never forget it, we sat outside this cafe in Hoxton and I just went at him with my ADHD, kind of like, boom, 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 just sort of blurted out what I wanted to do in my vision. And I kept saying, you know, and people are saying it's impossible, but I know in my heart that I can do it. And do, do you think it's impossible to do? And he was like, what you're trying to achieve is really, really difficult under circumstances, but I don't think it's impossible. And then I was like, will you shoot it for me? <laughs> And he was like, I love your passion. I'll do it. And wow. so I shot my wow. first film with a cinematographer of La n And it was the most beautiful experience. We're still in touch now. And it was one of the most special moments of my life because we were shooting. And he turned around and said, Ray, I'm just so impressed. And if, if you ever shoot a feature, I want to do it. So... Yeah, it was a really a really special moment. So yeah, that was it. It's funny how something that can inspire you in your youth and then comes around in a different way. It's mad.
1: That's amazing. I mean, that's the dream, right? You find artists you love and to be able to collaborate with them is
2: absolutely and also it made me realize that that kind of fear you see certain people is untouchable and i just feel like often sometimes managers and agents get in the way of artists to artists Mm. having a conversation and realizing actually we want to create art here and it's not about commerce or business or anything like that we're just connecting on an artistic level and so it really opened my eyes to what's possible if you often just reach out to people. What was the film that inspired you mostly in life?
1: Well, I think the first time that I recognised the world that I grew up in were through the films of people like Mike Lee. Rita Sue and Bob 2 is another one that I was just sort of re-watching because I haven't seen it for years because it's set in my hometown you know, by the script by Andrea Dunbar, who is from Bradford. Mm. I grew up in a very working-class area of Bradford on a council estate, and I don't know, there was just, even though uh, Life is Sweet is the first Mike Lee film I saw, and even though it's not set in that place, it, it was set in a similar social background, and... I don't know why, but I guess it's like you with Lehen. It, it There's just something inside you that you recognise and it ignites. And it just sort of sparks something in me to be able to tell lives about the people that I grew up around, the people that I recognised that didn't make it seem a million miles away anymore, this thing that I wanted to do. Obviously, it's important to be transformed to other lives, and that's one of the great things about cinema, it takes you to other lives and other places and it connects us as humans and we're able to empathize and see each other in situations and places and backgrounds that aren't ours. But then there's also something about recognizing your life, your circumstances, the people you know and love on screen. There's something very, I wanna say life affirming, but that's not the phrase, but uh, it's important, it's important for representation clio barnard is a film director i love and she's also from bradford because again she puts the place where i grew up and the people that i grew up with on screen she's amazing oh she's incredible yeah it's watching selfish giant again the other day and the arbor was a film that really i mean again these are films that i came to later in my life but they really struck a chord with me the arbor floored me it's a documentary actually but she uses actors to lip sync and dramatize the words of the people she's interviewed. Wow. Again, it's about Andrea Dunbar and it's sort of interspersed with a company of actors doing her first play, The Arbor, on the Buttershaw estate where she lived and grew up, with interviewing people from her life and then following the path of her daughter. And her daughter was a mixed race Asian girl who was born in 81, the same year that I was born. Sort of her experiences growing up in a very white working class council estate with the the sort of racism she experienced and how society was reflecting around her. My mum also had a friend who worked in the women's refuge that Lorraine, Andrea's daughter, was in. So it just, I don't know, it just felt incredibly personal. It just felt my, my life is not that Andrea and Lorraine's life was difficult, but it just struck something in me. It can be really easy to just be like, it's so grim, but it's showing all the facets of that life and how funny and charming and complicated people are amongst all that, amongst difficulties, I think. But she She really shows in her film, so I'm rambling. Uh. <laughs> no no not at all
2: and it just reminds me of that's why I love those kind of movies because for me I really find that kind of cinema to switch off just go and watch a Marvel blockbuster or I find it really difficult to do that for me I'm still learning when I'm watching cinema I want to learn I want to get into the worlds of other people and people I don't know and I want to learn something about that getting an insight into other people's worlds and lives that is what really really interests me i like to learn and i think film does that in the most beautiful way better than any kind of art form and it changes me every film i watch in some way changes me
1: more recently what are the films that have done that
2: oh gosh i think what films have done it recently in the last few years i thought Capernaum. it was just this beautiful film set in lebanon about a young i think it was probably a five six year old kid And I don't want to spoil it, but ultimately he's taking his parents to court and then we get a vision into his world and his life and him living on the streets, etc, etc, he leaves his parents and, and goes off. And it's just the most beautiful movie and it really, really touched me and affected me and it was like exactly the type of movie that I would... I guess like to make in a way and I just thought it was it was exquisite filmmaking in all ways and it got recognized I think it got a foreign film academy a nomination and stuff but you must catch this film because it is absolutely beautiful and a complete piece of art yeah so that's probably the film of the last few years that really had an impact on me and went straight into the top 10
1: and when you say impact you mean like emotional impact
2: emotional impact again like putting me into immersing me in a world that I didn't really know about it's just beautiful in every way in every way technically beautiful performances are stunning this kid's performance is one of the greatest on-screen performances that I've ever seen and to think that he wasn't an actor and he was a kid that they just found it's probably reflective of his own life in some ways but It's incredible, and there's this beautiful shot at the end that's never really, image has never really left me. You realise something about the whole movie, what this kid hasn't done through the whole movie, and there's this shot at the end, and he does this thing, and you're like, wow, it's a really smart genius piece of filmmaking, and you just must watch it for this kid's performance. It really is a stunning film. And you have to let me know once you've watched it what you think.
1: I will, I will, for sure. One of the films in recent years that I've really loved and made an impact on was Rocks. Did you see yeah, that film? I
2: did, absolutely. Oh, my
1: God, it's so beautiful. And I guess I'm realising a lot of the films that I've talked about are centred on youth as sort of coming of age or struggling with coming of age, like those girls are. I just thought it was made with such compassion and so beautifully observed obviously it's heartbreaking but it's not without hope and also i think a lot of these films also have a real social message showing a variety of britain and holding a mirror up i guess the filmmakers that i i like do that so yeah that i just i thought both those central performances the the two girls in that were extraordinary and it's really broke my heart
2: yeah they are extraordinary and it's a really it's a really amazing film that I really enjoyed it. It reminds me of that feeling that you speak about. It reminds me of when I watched um, Andrea Arnold's Fish Tank for the first time. Mm. That, again, at the time I was like, oh, this is the best British movie I've seen. It's incredible. And just going into her world. And again, she was discovered, she was a non-actor. And I think there's something so beautiful about placing non-actors with actors and that combination and what what comes off of that and her playing across Michael Fassbender was was really electric.
1: Films that that make you if you watch a subject or a character and you're like Ab- that's absolutely you've got a judgment on that but they open and make you go think about this think about the re-, you know so to make me think about the reasons why someone would want to do that and to have sympathy understanding I think Shane Meadows is always really great at that getting in there making you morally ambiguous about quite horrible on the face of it quite horrible characters humanizing them just being like look at that I mean that's the point of what we do right totally to connect with each other to find the humanity I watched Dead Man's Shoes the other day again and so good I know it was but I completely misremembered it and I was like oh my god this is so horrific but you know it really makes you question and empathise in some ways with his character who goes on a horrendous vigilante killing spree but you sort of see the guilt and the turmoil that he has over his brother and Shane's so good at doing that I feel yeah and incredible Stephen's film This Is England I think it's from the tv series actually but the moment that really sticks in my mind is his face when he gets in the back of that van and he knows that he's going to be dealt with he's atoned for what he's done wrong and so to make you feel for that character I just think is incredible and yeah Shane is brilliant at that. Yeah because I remember it's
2: that same thing with Paddy Considine's character in A Room for Romeo Brass and Mm. that was another film that I really really loved in the early days and that performance by Paddy Considine was just incredible I was like where has this guy come from I don't know it had something it's it was like watching like a British De Niro I was like what who is this guy and his just performance was wonderful but it does that same thing where you Mm. actually feel for him and yeah that's that was another that's that's and it's it's like it's
1: plumbing these like epic vigilante killings, for you could see that in some big massive Hollywood movie but he puts it in these really recognisable backdrops very similar to the background that I grew up in and it's sort of marrying those two things looking at the absolute dark bits of humanity and personality and the things that were led to but put in a very ordinary backdrop there's just something Absolutely. about that juxtaposition that I really love even though it's sometimes very hard to watch
2: no I, I fully agree with you it is, it's taking those extraordinary situations and bringing them into the real and I always find it interesting as well Absolutely.
1: So in terms of seeing something on the big screen, what would be your favourite film to see on the big screen?
2: I think it would probably have to be something that I never got to see on the big screen. And again, it's a film I absolutely love. It would have to be City of God. I'd love to get a chance to see that on the big screen.
1: Is that the cinematography that makes you want to?
2: I think it's everything really. Again, it's a low budget movie that Really thought outside the box, and it was really a well thought out film. It was shot beautifully, of course. The cinematography is absolute class. But again, it's representing youth, and it and it and it's a film that spoke to me, and it, the way the kid these kids grew up, and it's kind of actually epic in its scale, in its time span and stuff, but yet keeps a real indiness about it, and it's very unique in the way it's shot and. It was just an amalgamation of so many wonderful different departments and pieces of art making this piece. And I would love to just experience that on the biggest screen possible. So nowadays, where would be your favourite cinema to go and watch something?
1: So in Bradford, there was a, the IMAX cinema that I would love to go and see. We went, went to the local Odeon more often than not, but the sort of art house cinema there is when I got older and used to go back home. That's the one that I'd always love to go and see films. So just from a n- nostalgia Point of view, sure. I'd like to go there. I love finding out if I'm ever working anywhere, finding out the little indie cinemas and seeing what they've got programmed mm. because they're always really passionate about what they're showing and you can often find things that you wouldn't have come across before. How about you?
2: I think for me, I'm very fond of the Curzon Soho and also actually that I really like the Bloomsbury Curzon and all Cursons actually. I like the main mm. Curzon. So I like there's something about Curzon. I spent a lot of time in the Curzon Soho doing meetings and whatever and actually almost, actually, the film I was talking about earlier the one I directed it acted as almost our production base because we had no money so, <laughs> so I'm very fond and I've got fond memories of being in there and I always enjoy seeing films there I like the Genesis in, in East London it's a lovely independent cinema so yeah I'd much prefer these sort of independent cinemas over over the big sort of chain ones
0: There's something a bit
2: more intimate about them
0: As well as being seen turning it into a makeshift office, at the time of recording, Ray can actually be seen on screen at Curzon Soho as well, alongside Vanette in Boiling Point, the film that brought them together. Here, they get into their terror and rewards of embarking on such an ambitious project.
1: So obviously we did an improvised film together where everyone... Every time
2: you say that, that gives me... (laughs) <laughs> like, nightmares and the fear in my stomach all comes back yes it was indeed
1: it, was that the um only improvised film you've
2: done early on in my career i did a film of the wonderful director antonio bird we did a film all set in a rehab which actually i think was danny may's sort of first role and he was he was his first leading role certainly that was all improvised but there was a huge amount of rehearsal time to sort of build those characters so we knew who these people were inside out, and we were able to do it with a lot more ease. We didn't have so, that kind of rehearsal No, time. we certainly <laughs> did not.
1: So would you say it's not the improvisation that bothered you so much um, that made you as nervous, it was more the rehearsal time? I think it
2: was a, an amalgamation of all of it because we, I, what I realised on Boiling Point is that you could have been... It didn't matter how well rehearsed you were because Stephen is a law unto his own, so he'll come in and he'll just feel what he's feeling in that moment and say what he's feeling in that moment so you have to be present completely present and you know you know you were there and you have to be like right i'm throwing the ball back like what, what's coming at me next i don't know how much rehearsal time would have changed that i mean i'm sure you'll you'll second this but there was just something so beautiful about doing that and
1: just having to be present for that hour and a half exactly and also i guess we did i think it would have been different if we knew we only got four shots <laughs> <laughs> but because right. we didn't so yes there was pressure but not overbearing amount because we were like well we've got time to play so
2: yeah I was thinking about that the other day and I was thinking like how much of a masterstroke really that was from the producers to absolutely keep that back from us because it would have who knows if we had known that one little bit of information we may not have
1: got what we've got today because it would have absolutely added the level of pressure Exactly. But isn't that like the alchemy of what we do? You just don't know, do you? You could have the best script and the best cast and the best director and the best crew. And and sometimes it just, for whatever reason, doesn't come together. And then other times it just does. And um, that's part of the magic of filmmaking. Absolutely. But
2: that was a crazy but probably the most enjoyable experience definitely the most fulfilling experience on a film set for me I mean you obviously remember that when we got the take and we that cheer that erupted every time we finished one I mean especially one with, with the one that we knew we had in the bag mm-hmm. it was because we amazing.
1: felt it it, it was yeah. A, yeah we felt it we felt that we'd got it it wasn't just getting through it we just got through the previous takes but it didn't feel like it didn't mm. have the energy of those and to be honest that that was properly creative I mean we don't always get the joy of that but I think all the films that we've spoken about today have that you know and you're able to collaborate as a filmmaker rather than just come in and do you lines and off you go just the way it was all set up everyone was invited to bring some of themselves to that project and I think that shows in the end especially given that we (laughs) we didn't have much rehearsal time
2: oh gosh yeah
1: it just forces you to turn up with something you can't not can you no
2: no (sighs) I look back on that now it's almost like gosh how did we do it how did we do it but We did.
1: I think a lot of the filmmakers that I like work in a similar way that, you know, they're very carefully structured and scripted, but there's an element of freedom that lets their actors play and improvise. And I just really love that way of working. It's so rare that you get a a chance to work like that. Um, Obviously, Stephen Graham is a brilliant actor. So you want to be alongside him. But also it was a revelation like the rest of the cast, lots of people who I didn't know were all brilliant. And I also just from meeting Phil and talking to Phil, and like when you meet a filmmaker and and the story is coming from such a personal place and they're putting their heart and vulnerability into it. That's so important. It's coming from somewhere real. And that always draws me in. It's... Again, I've said it a lot. It's about connecting and telling stories. But when something comes from such a a personal place and there's such a deep need to communicate that, I think you're halfway there.
2: Totally agree. I totally agree. And for me, it put the fear in me to the point of like, I was like, I can't do this. I want to say no. I just there's everything about this scares the life out of me and I will be terrible and the idea of it being one take the idea of it being sort of semi-improvised the idea of working with Stephen who I completely admire and so it was just all these things that just make you go ah but it was during a period of self-reflection for me and I was really assessing my choices and my decisions in life and where I was at and I realized I'd come to the conclusion that it's those moments of fear and if I look back at those moments of fear, the things that really scared me in life, when I jumped into them, they proved really fruitful. And so I, as much as it scared me, I was like, Ray, you've got to listen. You've got to jump into that fear because most of the time it's worked out for you. So I did. And as much as it scared the life out of me, again, it's proved really fruitful. The film has been so much more successful than any of us could have imagined and it's just and and people are really being touched by it and moved by it and uh and so yeah there's been huge fruits at the end of it so that's my advice for today (laughs) jump into your fear people jump into your fear and I'm really glad that I, I did and it's created this new energy for wanting to do more of that style of filmmaking
1: it's always cool isn't it just hearing what other people's influences are so yeah
2: and we didn't obviously didn't have that time to do that when we were working on that set i mean when you're usually on a usual set and you've got all that downtime where you're sort of just chilling you're waiting to go up you're always chatting to people and stuff but we didn't on boiling point so we were just thrown into this and we were having to be on it the whole time so it was just it's yeah it's really nice to connect and learn about what films inspire you
1: and i've got a good couple of films to go and watching it
2: yeah i'm going to text you a list of them you have to but Capernaum, i think you should definitely check out i think you'd love it.
1: thanks ray cool cheers good to see you Bye. bye
0: thanks for listening to this episode of the biffer podcast if you haven't already subscribe to the show and make sure you get our next episode straight away if this is your first time listening have a look back in our feed to catch up on any episodes you might have missed including conversations between Riz Ahmed and Yann DeMange, and Best Actress winner Joanna Scanlon and her Afterlove co-star Natalie Richard. And if, like Ray, you're a big fan of La Haine, well then so is Reggie Yates, who told us all about why he loves that film so much in one of our earlier episodes too. Thanks for listening. The Biffa Podcast is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa. The show is hosted by me, Jake Cunningham, and I'm one of the producers as well, along with Ellie Aitken and Harold McShiel. The show's edited by Content is Queen.